0: I'll never forget the moment I realized my father wasn't invincible. Uh, See, we were on a family beach trip. We were returning from the beach, driving home. We still had the smell of the ocean on our skin. Our skin was red and peeling from ignoring all of mom's warnings to put on more sunscreen. And it was then in that moment as we rounded a corner that everything in an instant changed. Out of the blue as we rounded the corner, bang, this truck, a transport truck, an 18-wheeler hit us head on. After the car stopped spinning and came to rest in a ditch, I remember uh, smelling all of the smells of, ocean, uh, of engine fluid, radiator fluid on the engine, and I opened my eyes, and as the dust and the, the smoke was clearing, I heard the unmistakable sound of my father just crying out, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. The reality is none of us even knew what had happened. It happened so quick. And it wasn't my father's fault at all. Turns out the truck had crossed into our lane. But I just remember that voice of my dad crying out and I looked over and I saw him pinned in the front seat where he would be for hours before they could pull him out. And hearing his voice, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. There are certain things in life that in an instant can make us feel very fragile very quickly. That was one moment for me, but it seems that we're in another now. This moment in our lives where we can feel very fragile all of a sudden, very quickly. And it leads us to all of these questions. How long will this last? How far will this go? How close to home will this hit? And it's in the midst of these questions that we wrestle with where our footing is, where our security is, where stability will come from. It's easy in these moments then not only to feel fragile, but to wonder, to wonder, what do I hold on to? And that's the question we want to wrestle with then. What's our anchor? What's your anchor in times like these? What do we hold onto that won't give way when everything else around us is changing? Now, if you're a Christian, you may answer that question, well, God's my anchor, but hold on for a second, because the reality is in the midst of this season, I see a lot of Christians freaking out. So what does it mean to actually have an anchor, not just say that we have one, but live like we have one? What does it look like, not just to say that God is my anchor, but to live like he actually is? What does that look like? How do we do that? Practically speaking, how do we live in such a way where we're not rattled by everything that's happening around us? I want to read for you a passage from the Bible, a passage that speaks to this very thing, it will help us wrestle with this question of what do we latch onto in the midst of a season like this? The passage comes from the book of Hebrews. If you're a Christian, you may have a Bible with you, so go ahead and grab it and turn late in the New Testament, all the way, almost all the way towards the back of your Bible, just before the book of James is the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. We're going to put it on the screen so that you can follow along. The book of Hebrews in chapter 6 talks about what we can latch on to, this anchor for our souls. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 13, says this, Now when he, God, made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians living around Jerusalem uh, after the time that Christ had had passed and resurrected. And it's in the wake of that time that Rome begins turning its attention to the Christians. As Christianity grew, uh, an emperor came to power that didn't want anything to do with Christianity. And soon persecution broke out, meaning that Christians were literally being killed for their faith. Many imprisoned, many more were fleeing the area. And many more even were turning away from the faith. So the book of Hebrews was written to encourage these people, to encourage them to stand fast, to hold fast to what they believe in the midst of all of these things that were changing. And as they understood it, a second wave was coming. So this letter was written to them to encourage them to hold fast. More than anything, to tell them what they could stand on in the midst of a season like this. Throughout the book, the author points then to this man, Abraham, that we read of in in verse 13. Abraham is, is the father of the Jewish faith. The father of the Jewish faith, the one through whom Judaism would emerge. God chose him, made a promise to him. Abraham becomes the central figure then in the Old Testament and the central figure of promise where God promised him, I will bless you and multiply you and make you into a great nation. So the author here is reflecting on that, on the person of Abraham, on this promise that he says in verse 13 and 14, God then made this promise. And since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Since he had no one greater by whom to swear. So God's making this promise, this promise to bless him, to make him prosper, to turn him into a nation. And God wanting to seal this and make it permanent has no one greater to swear on but himself. This goes then to verse 16, this notion of swearing, uh, this notion of making a, an oath or a pledge or a promise. It says in verse 16, people swear by something greater than themselves in all their disputes then an oath is final by confirmation. It goes to this notion then of, man, what is an oath? What does this mean to swear on something? We think about it in our context, maybe on the, the schoolyard, man, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. And we're like, man, that's really morbid. But it was a way for us as kids of saying, hey, I'm serious about this. Test my word. I'm committing to this. Or or we say, man, I, I swear on the life of my dead hamster peanut, right? But even more so in our culture, more seriously, when you're brought in to testify in a court of law, we do this. We swear an oath. We make a pledge on something greater than ourselves so that there's this certainty that what we're saying is true. Think, think about this oath. We, we say in these moments, I solemnly swear. We, we place our hand on the Bible, put our hand, or one hand on the Bible, put our hand up. We say, I solemnly swear that the testimony I give before this court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. This is what it means to make a pledge. And God in this moment wanted to make a pledge, wanted to show us that his word was true and he would be faithful But God had nothing greater to swear on because God himself is the greatest. There's nothing greater than God. That's the point of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is wanting to anchor our souls to this notion that there's nothing greater than God. Nothing greater than God. And so when God wanted to show us with certainty that he was serious, that he would hold to his pledge, his promise to us, He swore by himself. This is why it says in verse 17 and 18. So when God desired to show more convincingly, to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to the heirs of the promise, which is us, the heirs inheriting this promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast. Here's the thing. Here's what Hebrews is saying. What it's saying is that we have something to hold fast to, and it's this. We have an unchangeable God who has given us an unshakable promise. We have an unchangeable God who has given to us an unshakable promise. We have an unchangeable God. The Old Testament book of Malachi says this, I, the Lord, do not change. I do not change. Later on in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have an unchangeable God. We have a God that's rooted in himself. He is the greatest thing. There is nothing else greater that he could be rooted in. He is unchangeable, unshakable. That means that in the midst of this season, God is not shaken. In the midst of the season, God has not changed. In the midst of this season, God not only saw it coming, but God holds steady and God holds true for you and for me. He's steady in the storm because he is unchangeable. And because he has this unchangeable character, God's word is sure. God's word is steadfast and his promise is unshakable. So in times when we are rattled, or as he puts in verse 18, at times when we're tempted to flee for refuge, we can remember that God is our refuge and ever-present help in times of trouble. He is unchangeable and his word is unshakable, his promise unshakable. See, we have this hope, it says, and the hope is that Jesus has redeemed us Jesus has secured something for us, the hope of heaven and eternity with him. This notion of unchangeable, unshakable, unmovable, it reminds me of this old legend. It's a legend of of a warship that's traveling across the ocean and late one night sees on the horizon a light directly ahead of him. And so he, the captain of the ship, turns to his signalman And has the signalman signal out to this ship on the horizon that it needs to change course so that they don't have a collision. And so he calls the signalman, says to him, uh, send this message. We are on a collision course. I advise you, change 20 degrees east. Everyone waits and the signal comes back from this light on the horizon. The light on the horizon signals back to this ship. I advise you change your course 20 degrees west. Agitated by the response, the captain orders his signalmen again. Tell them this. I am a captain. I order you to change 20 degrees east. They wait and sure enough, a signal comes back. I am a second class seaman. You change 20 degrees at this, the captain is infuriated. He orders the seamen to, or the signalmen to respond. And he says to him, I am a battleship. Change course now, 20 degrees east. Everyone on the bridge is quiet. Suddenly, a response comes back from this light on the horizon, and the light signals back to him. I am a lighthouse. We're not going anywhere. See, it's this notion of that which is unmovable, that which is unchangeable and unshakable. That's what Hebrews is saying. God is in times like these, in storms and seasons like these. God can't go anywhere. God will not go anywhere. He is an immovable rock. He is our refuge, and we can anchor ourselves to that that he is an unchangeable God and he gives to us an unshakable promise. But there's two last verses in the text. Read them with me. Verse 19 and 20. We have this, this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters in the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So here Hebrews continues on. The author has already established that we have an unchangeable God. He's given us an unshakable promise. It can't be moved. It will not be taken from us. But then he says, because of this, we have this as a sure and steady anchor for our souls. This hope of one who is gone and entered this inner place behind the curtain, Now that sounds maybe weird to us, but it's a picture very familiar to these Jews. It's a picture of the temple. And inside the temple and the temple in the innermost place was this inner room called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was not accessible to anyone, but the high priest. And it was only accessible by that one person, the high priest, one time each year. One time each year on the day of atonement, the high priest would prepare himself, purify himself. He would make sacrifices for the nation and then he would go in to the holy of holies. And there he would atone for the sins of the people, meaning he'd seek forgiveness from God for the sins of the nation. One time a year, this one man was allowed to go before God. Hebrews here is saying that Jesus, as the greater high priest, went before us. And what Jesus secured on the cross for us in his death and his sacrifice, what the gospel show us is that when Jesus died on the cross in that very moment, that very moment, the veil, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. No human could have reached that. And that veil torn symbolizes to us that now this barrier between us and God, the barrier of our sin in this broken relationship, that barrier has been removed. And we sinful people under the shed blood of Jesus Christ are now permitted to come before God. The author of Hebrews saying, hey, we have this This is our sure and steady hope. This is that anchor for our souls that Jesus has gone before us and secured for us something that we could not secure for ourselves. He has secured for us redemption. He has secured for us the hope of heaven. Hebrews calls it this hope, a hope, a hope that enters, that we can anchor ourselves to this hope. When we use the word hope, we often use it in a very subjective sense. I'm feeling hopeful. I have a good feeling about this. How are you feeling? Hopeful, right? It's a very subjective thing for us. But understand, in Jewish thought, it was not subjective at all. Hope was a concrete, objective reality in their language. As they understood it, hope was not a feeling subjective based on our outlook or the forecast of the market. Hope was a concrete reality, something anchored before us. What Hebrews is saying here is that we have a hope. It is concrete. It is as good, as visible, and tangible, and and something we can grasp with our hands. And the hope is this, that Jesus has secured the hope of heaven. He has gone before us, has secured something that cannot be taken from us. Here's the thing. Jesus has secured it. Salvation in him we are given it, and according to scripture, no one then can take it from us. Jesus has secured it. Salvation says we are given it, and by his blood, no one can take it from us. This is the hope we have. And so, what no matter what happens, what Hebrews is saying here is that heaven is God's unshakable promise to us. Salvation is God's unshakable promise. You have something in Jesus that cannot be taken from you. That is if, if you've made him the anchor for your soul, if you've placed your faith in him. Salvation, salvation is God's unshakable promise. See, here's the deal. My hope is not in the market outlook. Because here's the deal, markets rise and they fall. Markets fluctuate, markets change. One day they're high, the next day they're low. This is how markets operate and they will always be this way. So I do not place my hope in the markets. I also don't place my hope in medical advances. Here's the deal, we're all scrambling right now, hoping for a vaccine or hoping for a cure against a virus, but I don't place my hope in medical advances. Because the reality is, even if we cure this virus, there is something happening in me medically that cannot be cured. I'm growing old. Guys, I'm getting older. Every second that takes away, my body is reminding me that I am aging. And up to this point, medicine has not been able to stop the aging process. The reality is, Humanity has a 100% fatality rate because we all get old. So I'm not putting my hope in medical advances. I'm not putting my hope in the market outlook. Hebrews is pointing us to something that we can put our hope in, an anchor for our souls that can never be taken, that will never, ever change. See, salvation is God's unshakable promise to us. This is why Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, Paul wrote this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can change what God has secured for us. See, we have this hope, this anchor for our souls. I love that term, anchor, and then it would go on and say that Jesus is the forerunner who went in before us and secured the anchor. You need to understand that in the first century, they didn't view anchors the way that we did. They didn't operate the way that we see them now. We dropped a a steel or iron or, or aluminum, whatever it is, anchor off of the back of our boat right? But in the first century, it was different. They, they did have stones that they would throw over off the back. But more importantly, the significant anchor was one that they took out in a small boat from the bow of the ship. That's the front of the ship. And they would take this anchor and put it in the small boat and they would row to shore and they would anchor then the front of the boat to the shore ahead of them. What Hebrews is saying is that Jesus has gone before us and done this. In fact, that little boat that they would use to row to shore, that boat and that man was called the forerunner. So Hebrews is giving us this picture from first century thinking that, hey, this thing has gone before us. Jesus has gone before us and he secured something ahead of us that cannot change. And here's the deal. I can look over here and, and, and put my hope in the market. I can look over here and put my hope in medicine. But what Hebrews is calling us to is to stare straight ahead and to fix our eyes on the hope that is before us, Jesus and what he has secured for us, the hope of heaven. Salvation is God's unshakable hope. The question is, the question is, what are you looking to right now in this season? What are you putting your hope in? And really the question is, How do we make this real? How do we make this text real? What does it look like practically, tangibly this week to anchor ourselves in this, in this promise and in this hope? So three simple things as we wrap up. First and foremost, you have to place your faith in Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He has gone before us to give us something to anchor ourselves to the hope of salvation, the promise of a life with him in heaven. And here's the concrete reality of this. Jesus doesn't just secure for us a life here free of guilt and shame and sin. No, Jesus secures so much more. Jesus goes before us and secures not only a life here free of sin and guilt and shame, but he secures for us a life there in heaven with him. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have that security. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't know the unchangeable character of God and the unshakable promise that this life is not all there is. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, would you do so today? Because that's our hope. That's our anchor. It can never be taken from us. So no matter what happens to us on this side of eternity, we are certain, we have a promise, there is hope ahead of us. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus, would you do so? Would you do so today? In fact, I'm gonna invite you to do so right now with me. Would you just close your eyes, and if you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, would would you do so now? What the scriptures say is that we, when we place our faith in him, meaning when we confess our sin and when we invite God's forgiveness of our sin, then we are saved in that instant. Would you place your faith in him right now with me in prayer? And if you don't know what it looks like, if you don't have the words to pray, would you just pray along with me now, wherever you are, pray these words to the Father. He hears you, that Father I've anchored myself in other things. I've trusted the markets. I've trusted money. I've trusted medicine. But Father, I realize today that all of those things will fail. None of them can last. And so I fix my eyes on you. I choose to place my faith in you. Father, would you forgive me of my sin? Lord, would you change me from the inside out? Would you teach me how to live for you, for your glory, anchored in the hope and the promise of heaven. Lord, I confess that sin. I ask your forgiveness. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.